go rebuild my church, which as you can see, is falling into ruins. These are the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi from an image of Christ on the crucifix at San Damiano in 1205 AD. These same words inspired Peter Doan, the host of the program you're about to hear. Peter challenges all of us to rebuild, not the brick and mortars of our church buildings, but our personal faith and relationships that will rebuild and strengthen the church. Now here's today's program. Hi, I'm Peter Doan. And I'm Leslie Doan. And you're listening to the radio broadcast, Go Rebuild My Church. Each week in this broadcast, we will explore ways to put into practice the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi by our Lord Jesus, and how this theme is relevant as we seek to bring renewal to the church today. Our passion for renewal was ignited when we came home to the Catholic Church 12 years ago, and that's when we heard the call to rebuild and joined efforts with many other renewal movements within the church. You can learn more about our journey home and our lay apostolate dedicated to the renewal in the Catholic Church by visiting our website at www.catholicdiscipleshipministries.org. Our prayer is through the ministry of this radio program and our lay apostolate, we can provide pathways for you as individuals as well as parishes to join the rebuilding process and experience renewal. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you. And we're in the midst of a series that we believe is critical to the rebuilding and renewal of the American Catholic Church. Yes, our series, Leslie, is the call to return to biblical Christianity. And we've been on an exciting journey into the Acts of the Apostles, where we're discovering the characteristics that made the early Christians such a powerful force, pulling together the Scripture, excerpts from our Catholic Catechism, and the teaching of the Church. We're being challenged on how we, too, can start to live as these early Christians did. In our series, we're now following Barnabas and Saul on their first missionary journey, and it's an exciting journey, isn't it, Peter? Amen to that. We've been reading Acts 13 and 14, and we witnessed a great breakthrough point in the gospel as the gospel began to go out to the nations, and the church in Antioch became central to God's plans, just like Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And God was using this church to take the good news to the ends of the earth. We also observed that from here until the end of the Acts of the Apostles, we see a church that's totally focused on evangelization, discipleship, and mission. Yes, and we've summed up our thoughts, Leslie, lately by proclaiming the call of the Catholic Church here in the U.S., America, to move from maintenance to mission. And other, other ministries are saying that, too. Yes. Other voices in the Catholic Church. Yes, it's kind of spreading out and around. And one of the important elements of our broadcast is to give practical tools to individuals, families, and parishes on just how to join the rebuilding and renewal process, and indeed how to move from maintenance to mission. And last week we discussed how the church has given us a strategy, just like we saw last week in St. Paul and Barnabas had a strategy when they went out on mission. We mentioned that, interestingly enough, their mission, the first one, lasted three years, from 46 A.D. to 49 A.D. And we talked about and discovered that Paul had a target and a strategic plan. Every time he entered a new missionary frontier in the Acts, and we see this throughout his missionary journeys, St. Paul targeted the local Jewish synagogue. 
The strategy was shaped both by practical as well as theological considerations. On the practical side, the synagogue already served a weekly gathering where Jews and Gentiles even came together for prayer and religious instruction. But also, Paul Leslie was driven by the conviction that Israel stood first in line to inherit the blessings of the Messianic age. So Peter, last week our key takeaway was that if we imitate St. Paul and St. Barnabas and their approach to mission, we could also discover what the Holy Spirit's practical strategies are for us today, as well as some of the theological considerations. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mission work and evangelization really is not a hit or miss enterprise, right? Rather, it's strategic and theological, just like Paul and Barnabas's was. I think sometimes we think it's just going to happen. Right, exactly. And as we shared last week, there's good news concerning all of this because our church has gathered for us a strategy to address the needs in our present culture. The Synod of Bishops in October of 2012 came together to discuss the theme, the new evangelization for the transmission of the Christian faith. The Synod reaffirmed that the new evangelization is indeed a summons addressed to all and that it's carried out in three principal settings. Those three settings that they articulated were, number one, ordinary pastoral ministry. That means the day-to-day life of the local parish. Secondly, the setting was outreach to baptize those whose lives do not reflect the demands of baptism. We often refer to them, Leslie, as non-practicing Catholics. And then finally, evangelization to those who do not know Jesus Christ or have never, who have always rejected him. So the new evangelization, if I hear you correctly, is supposed to reach all these groups. That's the, right. The faithful that are already participating mm-hmm. in pastoral ministry in our churches, mm-hmm. The non-practicing Catholics and people who are not Christians at all. Right. But last week, we started to touch on the strategy of how to reach those in that second group or that second setting, and those are the non-practicing Catholics, mm-hmm. because, Peter, you shared with us that there's about 30 million of them right now Yeah, in that's the what research States tells alone. us, right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's huge. That, that, if, you, if, if you count religious groups, next to Catholicism, it's, a late, it's the largest ca- uh, group of religious people in the country. And unfortunately, all of us know someone that is, falls into that category. Right, exactly. So we also shared a great resource that we discovered from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia that we alluded to last week, and they gave four simple ways to reach out to non-practicing Catholics, which I think was very good and very practical. We posted that on our website at uh, discipleshipministries.org under last week's podcast called St. Paul and his Strategy to Reach Others for the Gospel. And there were four main elements to that um, uh, uh, chart. uh, Or tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that tool. And it was, number one, to pray for the person, which is certainly that is foundational to reaching out to our non-practicing brothers and sisters, to bring them to the Lord in prayer. Secondly, they mentioned that we need to offer what that person needs. In other words, the archdiocese shared that people obviously are in different places and their reasons that they're non-practicing, and they give like practical ways that we can reach out to a person based on the stage that they're in. Number three, they uh, mentioned to us 
that for us to look to open doors. God opens doors to our non-practicing brothers and sisters, and we can learn how to meet them exactly where they're at. And then finally, uh, uh, the, t- the chart mentions on how to respond to people and their emotional response towards not being involved with uh, practicing in the Catholic Church. And um, I, think, I think it's worth saying, especially in the groupings of people, uh, in those groups, it mentions the intellectual person who's not practicing and what that person would appreciate would maybe some scholarly materials. The seeker they mention, uh, what they might appreciate are concrete ways to feel their spiritual hunger and learning methods of prayer even. The overwhelmed person, that's someone who maybe need, who understand, we understand their pressures and we help them as they juggle work and home. The indifferent, as mentions, uh, give them the human face of the church that we can be to them and also the hurting to show compassion in the midst of them struggling in their walk and their faith. Well, we're going to take a short break now, and when we return, we will share another dimension of biblical Christianity that we see in the first missionary journey of Barnabas and Saul in the book of Acts. So please stay with us as we discover what Peter and I refer to as Satan's most dangerous game. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. Take Catholic Radio Indy's 40 Days of Lent Challenge. During Lent, listen to at least one hour of Catholic Radio each day. If you're already a daily listener, add an hour each day or pick a different time to listen. Or, if you really want to go all in, listen exclusively to Catholic Radio Indy from now until Easter. Spend 40 days with Catholic Radio Indy and see what a difference 100% Catholic programming 24-7 makes. For your faith, it's completely changed my walk with Christ, and I'm so thankful to you guys for that. For your life, all I got to do is turn it on and I'm lifted up. You lift you up when you're feeling down. Catholic Radio Indy. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. In this series, we've been exploring the call to return to biblical Christianity and discovering the characteristics that made the early Christians such a powerful force. Peter, what do we see now as we encounter Barnabas and Saul on this next uh, phase of their missionary travels? What are we going to learn from this? So, Leslie, an interesting thing happens on this first missionary journey. And what we see is Satan is there to resist and oppose the efforts to move from maintenance to mission. I want to read just exactly how he many times brings this oppression into the lives of Catholic Christians. Now, this is Barnabas and Saul as they just started out in verse 6 of chapter 13. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, withstood them, seeking to turn away the proconsul from the faith. Isn't that interesting? He was wanting to turn the proconsul away from the message that Paul and Barnabas brought. 
But Saul, who is also called Paul at this point, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind and unable to see for the sun, see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. But look at this. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What a dramatic encounter, Peter. Boy, you're not kidding. So here the Holy Spirit lifts the veil on one of Satan's key strategies to resist the gospel and entrap Christians' involvement or entrap someone who's listening to the gospel, Leslie, and many times innocently in the occult. I call it Satan's most dangerous game. Here in the United States, but also around the world, interest in the occult has steadily increased in the last 50 years. Such occult practices is, and we're going to talk more about these, necromancy and seances and divination and spirit guides and things like this, various forms of witchcraft and many other related practices have become a common practice, Leslie, in our culture, especially you can see that in the media, can't you? Yes, you see it really everywhere. And some of these things can even try to creep into our Catholic context. This rapid growth and the popularity and practice of the alcohol in our day has been paralleled by some confusion and uncertainty among we Catholics about these things and how they relate to our Catholic faith. So our purpose today is to highlight what Scripture and the Catholic Church teach about occult practices as we again we saw them confronting Saul and Barnabas as they proclaimed the Word of God. Well, and you and I have discussed, Peter, that our evaluation of occult practices really begins with the Ten Commandments, something that we all learn mm -hmm. uh, when we're growing up, the right. Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And if we go back to Exodus, the nations, as we learned in the book of Exodus, the ancient Israelites, as they came out of Egypt, were polytheistic. Mm -hmm. They really worshipped many, many gods. They right. had mm -hmm. adopted the ways of the Egyptians, yep. hadn't they? Yeah, they had kind of uh, bought into that culture. Right, and in stark contrast to this, God revealed then to his people that he was the one true God. Mm -hmm. He was the creator of all that exists, and he was above all and over all. And then he gave them the first commandment, which we have all memorized as children. But let me just read for you what it says in Exodus 20. Mm -hmm. I, he proclaimed to them, I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. You shall not have other gods besides me. And he directed that worship would only be for him. Worship was reserved for the true God and creator, and that was him. Right. And obviously, there's many parallels to today with God's people coming out of the land of Egypt or our culture and needing to be delivered of all these false gods. Mm -hmm. So to we are to direct our worship and our religious practices to the Lord, and any other kinds of gods are, such as homemade idols or spirit beings or witchcraft, all of this was idolatry and false worship. So scripture is very clear on this, Leslie, and it mentions some specific occult practices that violate the first commandment that you just read for us. 
Such practices were pervasive among the nations, as you mentioned, surrounding the Israelites. And this is why God was warning his people to avoid being polluted by these cultures, which is a key lesson for us today. And I think, it's, I think not only in Scripture, but we as Catholic Christians know that the catechism need to know that the catechism speaks directly to this issue. Well, why, I, don't, why don't you share some of those uh practices that we're supposed to avoid. Okay, I think so, that would be helpful. All right, so here's what the Catholic Catechism says. All forms of divination are to be rejected. Recourse to Satan or demons, conjuring up the dead or other practices falsely supposed to unveil the future. Consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm reading and interpretations of omens and lots, the phenomena of clairvoyance, the catechism goes on. Recourse to mediums, and we've seen that, Leslie. We've seen um, we've seen people that have considered um, going to a séance and calling up relatives that had died, haven't we? Yes, and they were Catholic uh, Catholic friends. Yeah, exactly. The catechism goes on to say they contradict the honor, respect, and loving fear that we owe to God alone. And finally. All practices of magic or sorcery by which one attempts to tame occult powers so as to place one's service and have supernatural power over them. Catechism 2116-2117. Well, Peter, I know you like to describe this as Satan's most dangerous game. Why do you refer to it that way? And this is really key with the occult. The reason is Satan often presents these practices as games. That is harmless. Both you and I, Leslie, have had personal experience where occult practices came to us in an unassuming, unassuming way in our younger years. Let's share a couple of those examples to our listening audience. Well, I recall a time when we were growing up where we actually got a Ouija board for Christmas, and we had great fun playing with the Ouija board. And later on, when I dedicated my life to Christ and went through a uh, conversion experience, and I was made aware that that was an occult practice, uh -huh. I actually took some time to pray and just renounce that activity. And again, it was introduced, though, as a game, wasn't that it? That is correct. Right. And I had an experience when I was a young boy. I lived in upstate New York, and there was a wonderful amusement park in Canandaigua, New York. And I would go there. I loved to go there with my parents. And one summer, I went there, and I noticed that there was a, a big sign that said Palm Reader. And so I gave my tickets, uh, and I went in there, and this woman said, open up your hand, and she began to read my palm. She read the lines in my hands and looked at my quote-unquote lifeline. And again, like you, as I came into the knowledge of the Lord in my college days and received some instruction, I realized that I could open up an area of oppression through Satan's most dangerous game. Okay, well, we're going to take another break now, and when we return, we're going to continue to discuss this uh, important topic and identify some of the occult influences that are out there and how to renounce them and their effects on our lives. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. Hi, I'm Patty Cochran. Are you a non-Catholic who listens to Catholic Radio? Would you like to find out more about how to join the Catholic Church? There's a program called RCIA that can introduce you to the Catholic faith. 
and it's available at your local parish. You don't have to make a commitment to participate in the program, just try it out. I did, and it was one of the best steps I've ever made. Contact your local parish office for more information and start your journey home. Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. Today, we are continuing our series, The Call to Rebuild the Church here in America through the restoration of biblical Christianity. And in our last segment, we discussed how in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas had to confront the occult. The goal of the occult, which was to turn the people away from the faith, to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. And presently, even today, we as baptized Catholics can be oppressed by the occult, sometimes really unknowingly. Yes. And Leslie, sometimes when we deal with this and confront it, we have to, so to speak, have a spiritual house cleaning. We're going to see this later on in the Acts of the Apostles in Acts 19, where literally people brought their books, their books on magic and the occult, and burned them when they were converted to Christianity. But let me just mention a couple ways that we can look at having a spiritual house cleaning very practically in our lives and in our families. First of all, if we have anything in our home that has anything to do with witchcraft, spiritualist, a cuardero, which is a shaman that would um, try to heal through potions and plants, a medium, or an oriental religion or cult or that that has been used in a spiritist way. For instance, like sometimes or a lot of times I'll see a... Uh, a Buddhist figure in a garden, mm-hmm. you know, uh, really Catholic Christians should not have those in, in the garden, <laughs> so to speak. Okay. Um, also, um, we can destroy it or see it to be destroyed. Do we shouldn't keep jewelry that is symbolic of witchcraft or signs of the Zodiac remove all or, and burn all pornographic pictures and magazines. Also, in terms of cleaning our spiritual house, we should get rid of all religious literature that does not agree with the basic truth of our faith that Jesus Christ is divine. I've been visited before by um, Jehovah Witnesses, and they always leave uh, literature. We shouldn't keep that literature around. Um, We should remove and destroy literature not only from Jehovah Witnesses, but just Scientology um, transcendental meditation, divine light Michigan mission, yoga, things like this, children of God. Way back in the day when we were Christian uh, in the Jesus movement, you remember the Way International was really big, and they would pour out information to us. Those kinds of things should be removed from our house. It seems like a little thing, Leslie, but again, we're going back to the place that Satan wants us to play his game. And finally, we do not allow the influence of evil to come into our home through television. That's a big thing. So many of the shows these days have the occult influence oh, coming so through many. it. You know? It's just overwhelming so, how many, how many uh, movies really highlight the power of Satan. Right, and parents have a, such a call to really monitor the programs that their family's looking at. So on the positive side, so that's talking about how we can really clean our homes from the kingdom of darkness. But on the positive side, there's also things that we can do to really bless our homes and invite the Holy Spirit to come into our homes. Mm -hmm. And although we're not 
priests, we as baptized Catholics have power that we don't realize. And St. Paul talks about this specifically in Mm -hmm. his letter to the Ephesians. Here's what he said. Listen to what he said. How very great is his power that works in us. It's the same as the mighty strength which he used when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right side in the heavenly realm. That's really resurrection power that we have. So think about it. Mm -hmm. This power is greater than the power of Satan. Mm -hmm. And although we don't have the authority of an exorcist, we can ask for the power of God to protect and bless our homes. Exactly. Or we can also invite a priest to come to our home and do a house blessing. Um, My niece recently did that, and I thought that was wonderful. When they moved into their new home, they had the priest come and bless their home. Yeah, exactly, Leslie. And, you know, in our homes, we should have sacred spaces, right? Where we have icons and where we have holy water and where we have um, the scriptures and we have a place where we spend time in prayer. That really sanctifies the home as well as creating a sacred space. And some, some Catholics have actually set up altars in their home uh, for their sacred space, which I think is a lovely practice as well. Exactly. And here's a prayer, Leslie, that, is, that I think all of us can and should pray when, when it comes to these things that we're talking about today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon all our homes. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask to be delivered from sin and all evil influence. Protect us, Lord, from sickness, accidents, theft, and all domestic tragedies. We place our homes, Lord, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we consecrate ourselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. May all who live here receive your blessing of peace and love. And Lois, I think we can even put that prayer uh, for our listeners on our website and it's just something that could pray to really cleanse the home spiritually through prayer. We can also be saying the Our Father and the Hail Mary regularly and making the sign of the cross in our homes. We want our homes to be a sacred place so that we should also, of course, have our crucifixes and sacred art of Jesus and the Blessed Mother in our homes. That's right, Peter. So thank you so much, audience, for joining us today as we seek to connect you as individuals and your parishes to the rebuilding and renewal of the Catholic faith here in America as we hear the call that St. Francis heard from Jesus himself, go rebuild my church. Now, if you'd like to hear our past programs, go to catholicradioindy.org and press the big blue button in the top left corner of the webpage and make sure to become a regular listener of Catholic Radio Indy. And Leslie, let me say one more thing, that next week in our first segment, what we want to do is make a list of some of these things that Catholics may not be aware of that have an occult origin to it you know to really help us to identify so that we have no uh, entrance points where the enemy can come and oppress us and oppress our families and that we can literally make these confessions that so that we are free to serve the lord and to serve the gospel okay well thank you everyone so you're going to want to join us next week for sure uh so goodbye for now and And keep keep the the faith. faith You've been listening to Go Rebuild My Church with Peter Doan. Podcasts of this program are available at www.catholicradioindy.org.
You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy.